0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the California Association of Tactical Officers podcast, where we discuss a variety of SWAT related topics. We believe tactics are a science, and the art is in how we apply those tactics. My name is Marcus Sprague. and I'm Brent Stratton. Let's talk a little bit about our guest today. And uh, Jason, I had to write it down to spell it, uh, to pronounce it correctly, but yeah. Tushin. Tushin, yeah. Tushin. And uh, Johnny Walker. A lot of people know a little bit about you guys. You've been on some podcasts. Um, Johnny's wrote a great book, but it's really a great, truly a great American story. So just to kind of start off, can you give us just a little synopsis about how you uh, came in to meet this this and how you ended up here?
1: Yeah, so uh, 2004, I checked into SEAL Team 7, and they were just coming back from deployment uh, where they spent a, a fair amount of time in Mosul, and uh, they were... You know, one of the names that keep coming up was this guy named Johnny Walker, this crazy Iraqi interpreter they had. I'm like, cool. And so the name was in the back of my head. And we spent the next 12 months, uh, 2004 to like April 2005, prepping for deployment. And then in April 2005, we deployed. And I was the uh, task unit uh, senior enlisted advisor for, uh, we were based out of Baghdad at uh, RPC, Radwaniya Palace Complex, one of Saddam's old palaces. And that's where uh, we there's a bunch of soft there, uh, SF and us. And one of the turnover, I uh, as I was doing the turnover with uh, Sarge, a guy named Brian Sargent, who was the outgoing task unit chief. We we're going through a list of things, lessons learned, do this, don't do that. And one of the things he turned over specifically was, hey, uh, you know, we got all these interpreters, they're good dudes, you know, Ray, Aram, some really good guys, but Johnny Walker, uh, he's the only Iraqi citizen here. But trust him, you know, no matter what he he's got a sixth sense on target, and he's been invaluable for us, and so drove over to that house Johnny was staying at and met him and uh yeah, I and mean, took sarge at his word, and we became friends immediately, yeah, I absolutely relied on his uh instinct and intuition uh over over the course of that deployment uh I mean it was invaluable to us, he was you know not just when you're dealing with bad guys, you know, like he could, it it would crack me up too. He'd like, boom, you know, blow the door in, clear a house, and there'd be eight men in there, let's say, and a bunch of women and kids. And Johnny would just look around and go, that's the guy right there. I'm like, how the hell do you know this? He's like, yeah, that's my country. And he was always right. But then on the flip side, you know, like he was very cognizant of what we were doing. I mean, blowing somebody's door in at two in the morning. uh, You know, if the guy's bad, cool. But you know there's collateral damage there in terms of women and kids and you don't want to you want to mitigate making more enemies right and so johnny was very in tune with uh comforting the women and kids uh you know a lot of times too the women would just be like pointing to their husband like that's the bad guy get rid of him but you know he would have candy or toys with him and give them to the kids or light little glow sticks let the kids play with it and, you know, so even in the middle of a target and all the chaos going on, you to be getting an education on the history of the Shia-Sunni rift and things like that, you know, like, hey, this house is Shia, you know, we got to do this, be careful with these people, or be careful with, you know, saying this or doing this. And, and just, you know, his, you know, I think as an interpreter, his, his <laughs> mastery of the English language was a lot of fuck and uh, shit. <laughs> And so, like <laughs> that part of it, eh, you know, he wasn't the best uh, translator, if you will. But in terms of the cultural uh, intuition that he had and, and taught us, uh, it was absolutely invaluable. And so, you know, bottom line, to get circle all the way back around, I met in you know April two thousand five, and we hit it off immediately. Came uh, he was kind of a right hand man for that deployment.
0: And for some of those folks that haven't been in the military, when you sign up and you become a translator, and we'll talk about how you ended up with the SEALs versus the MPs, um, which is a funny story, but talk about a little bit, you you have to have that trust, but not everyone has that trust. And and there's interpreters as you come in that you need that on the ground knowledge, because we don't understand. One of the things you've talked about before, and you mentioned it in your book, is we all think that that part of the, the world has been in conflict for thousands of years and we assume we'll never solve it. And that's our big, like easy cop-out answer. But the truth is that's not true at all. And that's a recent problem and you're a great example of that. And so I, I'd, I'd like to get into that a little bit, but you, when you're an interpreter, you, and you initially go out with these guys, they actually go home like they, they not go home to the States, but they go back to base and then they rotate. A lot of times it sounds like you were like, okay, the next team's going out, go out with those guys. Did you get less downtime than like the average military guy? What do you mean? So they contract you to be an interpreter. And I don't
2: know about interpreter, but I know for sure I, I'll do everything to make my brother safe and mission succeed.
1: Yeah, but he would, would, so like we would, Johnny was assigned to my task unit, but yeah, when he was needed, you know, like let's say we would uh, go out, hit a target, roll a bunch of people up, you know, I'd do the after action report, send it up and then go crash out. Johnny would get pulled to go, you know, to the, the, well, or more often than not to like the, uh, the holding facility to do like some rudimentary interrogations and, you know, get some intel out of the person and see you know, how bad on the bad scale they are before they get sent off to uh, uh, either, you know, a more permanent facility or into, uh, or, you know, and when we we're there. They're starting to bring, uh, the Iraqi court system was starting to uh, percolate back up and they're sending, putting guys on trial, you know, so gathering, you know, really like a prosecutorial evidence against these people. And so, Johnny, if you tapped on that one, I'll be out cold sleeping.
3: So, to a certain extent, you're not just really a, a language interpreter, but also a, a cultural interpreter, and really kind of being able to help assist with some of the the translation day to day
2: life stuff as well. as that? Bro, I'm gonna tell you: if they pick me up for my language, they will be lost. <laughs> <laughs> I let me have language at that time. <laughs>
3: No way. I think you got an excellent command of the English language and your ability, like you said, to, to integrate the the yeah. word, you know, fuck
2: into your everyday well, sentences. is just it's it's excellent, man. It's pretty good. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to tell you, just watch my wife while we do the broadcast and you will see how many times she can correct me. Oh, yeah. So I have fucked up language. So my point is those people, they don't pick me up because I am number one linguist no they pick me up because they find bath in my character which is they can't trust me mm-hmm. so one of the things what I'm what I'm doing in that time i question the jackpot in our facility and i have a translator translate to the interrogator
0: <laughs>
2: so imagine because you know like if if yeah. If I translate and I do all this kind of language things, I will lose surprise element skills Why I question the guy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So my point is, teams, they don't depend on my language. Then they depend on my skill and my honor and my trust. And that's why we became like, I think, successful team. And from Mm -hmm. all my mission, All the mission I shared, which is at least a thousand, that's what the people said. I never counted. And they never write down memories. I never lost anyone of my brother in my mission, zero. Only one guy injured and that's that's it. So I am so lucky. Isn't that great? And then, you know, there's such a, a great
3: lesson there though as it relates to what we do and what this podcast is all about. You know, one of our mentors, Uh, You know, Tim Anderson, uh, retired Colonel Tim Anderson talks a lot about this, and it's a principle that Marcus and I both believe in about, you know, selecting the right people, putting them in the right position, and then putting that round peg in a round hole, you know, square peg, square hole. And oftentimes we try to fit people into certain positions uh, that that they just don't fit in, that they don't exceed in. So somebody, um, you know, was knew you enough, got to know you enough, knew where you would fit, how you would best fit in the team, how you would help be able to support the mission. And then that helped keep people safe. That helped the people that you were dealing with to make them feel comfortable that hey, they're not the targets of of the operation. You're still helping helping them feel comfortable, which is furthering uh the mission and what you're doing. So there's there's a, a lot of lessons there in in
2: uh in what you're talking about. Brent, this is like the general idea. But if we go to the details from my side, like when I enjoy Navy Seal, it's so hilarious. Like first mission I went with them, there is one guy he catch me from my shoulder, and they, I have to put cami and body armor and helmet. And for my tradition, my culture, this is so coward. This is how we raise, how we, how we understand things I'm not gonna protect myself from the enemy I will shoot him I will kill him and he shoot me he killed me that's it but I'm not gonna put anything so they force me so anyway first mission stop not only sound is physically stop right left and we stop beside the one of the target and they have no idea about the breach. Some, you want to go inside the house, you can uh, explode the house, the, the gate. I never saw that in the movie, too. So, explosive comes in, boom. And what do you think Johnny did? Run, Johnny, run. I thought, run my ass away from the target. I thought we are under attack. And it's like, fuck it, money's good. But it's not that good. But it's not <laughs> risking my life. See you guys, and the guy, Withhold the gear, weapon, and have machine gun with him. He went, Johnny, please stop. Please stop, (laughs) motherfucker. So, anyway, I stopped and I told the guys. And we went to the house. Anyway, my point is imagine yourself, individual. You came to a new world, new things. You never saw that. Now, you guys, you guys, Americans, and you guys have kind of education about SEALs life through the books and movie, right? But before that, no one know about them. And imagine you came inside that community. You have nothing, zero. Only my faith. I want to do something better to my country, you know what I mean? And go with them and be part of the team. This is like a huge, a huge culture shock and... Navy SEAL community, weird tradition and relationship. And I'm telling you, they don't accept anyone. Until one of the days we have mission, long story short, one guy, he's got injured. I think his name, Adam. He shot in his arm and something. And it's big chaos mission. We try to have sniper mission to protect the election in Mosul and they went inside and they shot him and i hear i get shot i get shot and it's like fuck. what i should do i don't want to cross the procedure of the seals because i know they go by one plus one two this and that and they train all the time i don't want to confuse them but also my human being inside inside my heart is like fuck the rules do something to this guy and, you know, at the beginning, I didn't know where he get shot. So I went and I still remember the I hear the round. I pull him out, uh, put him outside beside the wall. He's safe. We head back and Spencer Calvin. Oh, yeah. He can't talk about him. He is weird. He never trusts. anyone. Anyway, he don't trust another team to come on his team. He says, John, he's good. We trust him. And this has opened the gate to me.
0: No, that's a great, that's a great story.
1: That's garlic that got shot. Yeah. 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 It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it was, it's...
2: Well, <clears throat> imagine those people, they have a sniper mission to protect Iraqi people to go to elections safely. No one, yeah. no one mentioned that.
0: No one thinks about that in America, how important that really is. No. As a matter of fact, they take it so much for granted that they don't show up
1: yeah yeah true sorry
0: for sure uh so that's that's kind of one of the main themes of your book talk to us a little bit about uh you as a leader and how you and how you built that um and how that translates to you know we've talked about collateral SWAT teams or even full-time SWAT teams and and how you have to have that brotherhood to be successful to have that culture
1: yeah it's I mean it starts with trust and you know with the SEAL team itself I mean you have a miserable shared experience in a selection process like Bud's that, you know, whether you're East Coast, West Coast, uh, whatever team you're at, you know, if you have that trident on your chest, there's a, an understanding that there's a physical, a mental and an ethical standard that you're going to maintain. So there's naturally trust there. Uh, when outside entities come in and as the, you know, like interpreters that was, okay, do I trust this guy? Uh, you know, for most of most of our interpreters were expats from the Middle East, uh, mainly Iraq Kurds, Shia, uh, some Lebanese Christians. Like Johnny was a one-off in that he was the only Iraqi citizen, uh, in fact, working with us. Everybody else was and Sunni, and Sunni from <laughs> Mosul. Johnny
2: highly killed his death for me. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> the uh, and but then you know, as the war, uh, as tactics improved and in the war went on, you know, it became more uh, critical to have other different enablers with us, you know, people who, uh, you know, technical experts or people who weren't SEALs and hadn't been through our selection process. And so bringing them into the fold as well. And yeah, you got to rapidly establish trust with them. Uh, I think, you know, in a leadership role, it really helps to, uh, for them to get them to trust you, you need to be humble and uh, engaging with them and you know taking the time to get to know every each and every person uh, within the team you're leading and develop that relationship because people want to work for you're going to do a better job when they' like you they trust you as a leader when you're humble, not arrogant, but you also have to have a, a level of proficiency as well and so but for me, yeah, bringing these outside you know bolt on to the team, uh, it was getting to know them establishing relationships with them trust and holding them accountable to a standard and uh but being uh fair in holding them accountable and so it was uh yeah it, it worked really well we had a pretty you know when i look at the teams you know through my my career you know 27 years when we first got there to where it is now and how it's evolved over time it is flat out amazing to see the improvement and just how good it is uh like I'm jealous of the new guys coming in in so many ways because they're so much better than we were, you know, they're just so much deeper and more cerebral and, uh, open-minded.
3: You know, when you're talking about building a culture, you're, you're talking about taking people from, like you said, East coast, West coast from all different walks of life and, and really building a culture from the ground up. And one of the phrases you used was accountable, holding them accountable. So, um, you know, accountability is a big word obviously, but, uh, specifically in our our industry, people talk about that a lot, but I don't know that it's always applied. Uh, when you, when, in our industry, when people talk about accountability, it's oftentimes associated with the negative connotation of discipline, right? So we're going to hold officers accountable for this. And when you hear that in the media or you hear it sometimes from executives or law enforcement agencies, it means we're going to discipline this person. We're going to fire them. And that's a component of, of, of discipline and accountability can you talk a little bit about how you implemented accountability within your team while you're building this culture outside of the 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 negative disciplinary connotations
1: yeah i think the discipline comes like that that kind of discipline comes when it's a pretty it's got to be a pretty egregious you know breach of ethics for the accountability but with a good team you, you hold each other accountable right you have these standards that are in place for the team the norms that you expect and each member of the team expects and you know you got to have thick skin and realize you're going to screw up and so when you screw up it's you know other members of the team are going to call you out on it but they're not going to tear you down when they call you out they're going to hey man you totally screwed that up here's what you did wrong and here's what you need to do but I think the you just police yourselves right that team if it's if it's high performing is going to hold each other accountable to it. the standard that You know your team has established, and you can't compromise on that because when you do, then it just becomes dysfunctional as hell.
3: That's cool. And if if I could put a word to it, it, what comes to me when you say that is almost the phrase lateral accountability because you talk about guys holding each other accountable to that, and on a team environment, that's something that I think uh, you know as a team leader or a commander or something you'd want for your specialized unit is to see that that not a well, hey, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not the sergeant. Hey, I'm not the team leader. Hey, I'm not the assistant team leader. That's not It's not my job to be doing those things. No, it is our job. Even if you're not in a necessarily quote unquote leadership rank, this is our team. This is our component and being able to, when you see something, pull it back in line, be able to address it. And uh, so I think that's a really uh, big portion of what you're describing as it relates to leadership and building and creating um, and
1: impacting a culture within a specialized unit. Totally, like if you're leading one of these teams, like you're a platoon chief or a troop chief, or a command master chief even, all the way up the ranks or, or an officer, uh, we have in the teams, it's called the E five mafia, right? It's all the, you know, they're not in a, one of the recognized leadership roles. It's just the the whole butt shed, right? You know, the whole group of sled dogs out there. Uh, they do all the policing. You might, you know, you might say something like that was messed up as the leader. And then, you know, behind the scenes, it's going to get addressed within that group. And they, they absolutely hold each other accountable. And, uh, however they do it you know a lot of times uh they, they put a firewall between me or whomever the leader is and what they're doing to tighten things up and it's not like hazing or any of that although that did happen at times but uh it was more just you know they they policed each other up really well and the better they did it the better the the team was
3: is that something that you had to work to create or is that something that you just naturally received people that are that way i mean I, i'm I'm guessing that to a certain extent that you're, you're receiving people that are already geared towards that. But I would think that it's still a culture that needs to be cultivated and created. And, and, you know, and we can talk a little bit about what you're doing now, but you're going to uh, uh, to different businesses and doing things like that where you're creating, you're creating culture. And I, I would imagine that's one of the things that you're trying to create. So how do you do that? If you're not already given these driven people that are already naturally inclined towards doing that, how do you, what kind of advice can you give on a leadership side for people to help create that culture because i think every leader would want that right yeah you want you know that you're gonna have to correct some things but ultimately you want
1: people to be able to like you said police themselves yeah totally so like from the seal side of it it, i mean it does start in buds and you know when i mean like first phase of buds where you see you know like on discovery channel the guys running with the boats on their head right that that to me is the greatest uh well just uh it'll identify weak links in the team really really quick because you know you have to work as it it, the whole evolution sucks you have a boat on your head and you got to run and you're wet and sandy and chafed and you can see it as an instructor like somebody trying to duck their head out from underneath the boat because it hurts which is just adding more weight to everybody else and that was like when i was running uh first phase that was my red flag you know somebody was ducking boat not pulling their share of the weight you know, that's the only time you'd see me. You know, like get like Yosemite Sam mad and run off a berm and grab somebody and uh, get, try to get rid of them, because you are uh, you're putting everybody else at risk. And so, it, it, but if I didn't see it, that that boat crew would, uh, you know, if that guy kept doing it repetitively, they'd find a way to make sure he got out of training. When you don't have that baseline, like any business, right? Uh, I think it starts from a leadership role is really establishing relationships with each member of your team, right? Understanding here's our vision. Here's our values and principles that uh, we want to espouse and and you develop that trust and they trust you as a leader, and you trust them. And you just it it takes time to develop, but uh, you know, over time, they, uh, you start holding each other to the same standard. You know I mean? It's just, there's a, a camaraderie, uh, that develops and, you know, I've seen it now with one of the companies I work with. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we've developed relationships very, you know, so it's like, I'd like to go out with you after work type relationships and hang out and have a beer. But, you know, also if you go, Hey, that's wrong, you know, and they'll fix it or, or you want to get to the point where they just police each other, you know? And so, like, the beautiful thing is, like in the teams is, you know, if as a leader, you, you wouldn't even have to address it. Is Right as you're getting ready to say something to correct behavior, somebody's already jumping in and going, hey, man, knock that off. That's wrong. And that, that's cool when you get to that point, you're a high-performing team at that point. But I think it all starts with developing trust in a relationship with each and every member of the team and having that vision and, you know, for the organization where you want to go. And what, what are your values? you know, and and sticking to them. Don't compromise your values.
3: That's another great component to some of the things that you're talking about is for, for the leaders that are listening to ultimately have that vision, because it's one thing to talk about. You want this accountability. You want to impact the culture. You want to do all these different things. But to a certain extent, those are things that you're wanting done. What's required of you is to have that vision, right? To understand what that vision is and then to be able to take and relay that vision, which is something that I think, uh, Marcus, we, uh, don't see a whole lot of um in our industry sometimes you know is that the leaders then identifying ultimately what is that vision right as sid heel talks about in his book you know sound doctrine is you're talking about the end state right it's where do you want to go where are you where do you want your team to be and then building it backwards from there and then ultimately gets down to the accountability part
1: of what uh what jason's talking about what do you want it to look like yeah exactly what do you want the end state to be okay that is we all that's our vision and these are the values and so that should you know each and every member of the team that should inform your thinking and decision making process is what i'm doing in line with our end state the vision we want to do and is what i'm doing uh aligned with our values is it legal is it ethical is it no adverse uh you know harm to the team well if the answer is yes then i'm making the right decision it might not be the the most right decision but it's not a bad decision on and uh and I think that, and that's how you end up empowering everybody in the team as well. You know, if that vision's clear, it's informing your thinking. You know, the values and the the left and right flanks you can operate in. Me as a leader, when that when that stuff was clear, you know, it's like, hey, you know, run with it. You guys make the decisions. You're empowered now because you know the guidelines and the framework for which to make those decisions. It might not be the decision I would I would make, but you know, we can use that as a teaching point. It gets and us there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: One of the things from my humbling observation for the teens, because it's my family, you know, how they succeed. They don't allow to poison disease environment around them. Second, they don't allow to weakness. Not you are sick and they are not going to back you up, no. If you have bad uh, effect and bad uh, karma on the team, like pull him down all the time, they don't allow to do that. Third things, when you are at the bots phase, one phase, two, phase three, this is kind of the foundation of perfection. They can uh, sort of like filter everyone and his personality and his character, he's gonna be lead or he's gonna be a regular guy. Another things, family relationship they have very strong family relationship like until now me and Tushin and johnny hire we we're family you know what i mean we kept that and we share our story mm-hmm. so when you go to the mission how you became successful leader like i told you from my humble observation by respect and admire Tushin, and i know he's gonna cover my back no matter what it's going to take him, if it's going to take him his life or whatever, or if something happened to me, he will take care of my family. This kind of soul support is going to push you to challenge yourself to reach to the ultimate sacrifice without thinking about this this path. Make sense? Yes. So this is what I learned from them. And this is different from, what i learned from my life i'm not saying it's not good no it's amazing but we don't have life or death challenge every night with those guys i have it and i ask myself what the fuck is going on with them yeah. brian sergeant yeah i asked him one time i saw him when we moved to baghdad before i worked with you yeah I with brian before. Sargent. Keep, a month before we got there yeah I saw him before the mission, big ass mission. It's like, holy fuck. Everyone have fucking cigar and relaxing chair or Humvees, listen to music, whatever music. It's look like, are we going to party? We going to fight and fight. You can lose your life or part of your body. And this look like they prepare for a party. What the <laughs> fuck? So I'm kind of confused, honestly. I went to Brian Sargent and I told him, Bro, I have something to ask you. What the fuck is going on with the guys? He says, oh, Do you know if you're going to die in this mission or not? I told him, No. He says, Why well, you care? Dear things and trust your brother. That's all what you need. Shit. Yeah. Simple, but this makes sense to me.
1: Sorry, guys. No, no that's a good yeah. point, though. Yeah. the uh, And I think that's one of the things that look, it starts at Buds for us. And, and any uh any unit whether it's law enforcement or uh Especially other branches of the military, military. Yeah. yeah there's a you have a a selection right so it, it's a little bit harder to it's just not run in the mill and like one of the things about buds, which was so cool is it's gonna find your achilles heel man there is something there that is your weakness and it, and it's it'll find it and hammer on it and you you know there's a point where it, you might not be able to overcome that one yourself so you rely on your teammates to help you through that whether it's a mental hurdle or a physical hurdle or whatever it is but it has a great byproduct of one it causes you to be humble because you found something that's a weakness for you that somebody else you work with it's not a weakness but they picked you up and helped you along in that and that carries over uh you know throughout your career in the teams you know there's uh everybody's got their own strengths and weaknesses be humble enough to admit your weaknesses and uh be a good teammate to capitalize on your strengths to help somebody else with their weakness and uh you know that's the true definition of teamwork i think is picking each other up when they're down because you know nobody's infallible
2: Uh, they they don't have ignorance mindset Like a lot of times, I went to tuition or any leadership. Hey, this is wrong. I don't think so. We have to do that. Okay, why is that? What do you think is the right thing? They listen. Yeah, you know what I mean. They don't. No, I know what I'm doing. I know. And they don't. They don't have a problem with themselves.
0: That's the ego. Like like most
2: of the. See, most of the. Reason why we lost the war in Iraq. People they don't have enough education about the Iraqi culture. People they don't know how they treat people. Third things, some people they have problem with themselves. I want to go and kill. Kill is not the solution. How many missions we have? Sniper mission? A lot. A lot. How many times we kill? Maybe one or two. But how many people, how many family we build it to our side? See, this is kind of things why the SEAL succeed. Like one of the mission with Johnny Hyatt, you remember? Mm-hmm. Supposedly stay one day, one night. We end up how long?
1: I guess we're there like two or three days, man. Yeah.
2: And we ask them to bring us gas mm-hmm. to the family generator. Yeah.
0: Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
2: See, we kill nobody. But we win this family. Yeah, yeah. Good
0: relationships.
2: Yeah, our job is not to kill. Our job to make difference. Same thing with you guys. Yeah. Like when you guys catch bad guy, it's not your job to kill him unless you threatened your life, right? But if you build from his criminal mindset, good example to other people, and do your job no more no less, we can give a huge example to everyone. Hey, we are a human being, we care about you, and we do our best. You know what I mean? Same thing with us. When we go to our when we go to the mission, we can't kill anyone without any says anyone says anything about us. Rule of law. But this is not how we take care of business and the reason why we succeed because we care about people. We try to do the right things to them and we don't have a problem with them. And include if he is bad guy, soon we capture him, we're done. We cannot do anything to him. And this is why we are better than our enemy, because we don't use our enemy way of disrespect human life.
0: That's a great point. And you uh one of the things you touched on, you didn't say it directly, but it's what it's what makes Johnny so special compared to some of the other, uh, interpreters that you had. And and there were great interpreters. Lots of people talk about them. So I'm not trying to take away from them, no, but you take, you know, a guy like Johnny and you, he didn't go to buds. He didn't, he didn't have any of those things, but he understands the why.
1: Yeah. Totally. So he
0: didn't have the procedure in his first mission. He didn't even have all the procedure and yet. <laughs> You were wildly successful because you understood the core values and, and the importance of what that is and why we were doing it. And it, actually, if you could speak about that, why did you decide to be an interpreter besides, hey, I need some money to pay this for is, my family? This is more than that.
2: This is, I agree with you, but imagine if we have thousands of tuition, Johnny Highlight, I don't know. Yeah, maybe if one we or two is enough. One yeah. or two is enough. What <laughs> <laughs> Steve was asking, all this kind yeah. of amazing people. If we have them uh, and in everywhere, like I have amazing friends and a brother in the Special Forces, Ryan, Juan. If we have those guys as a leader in Iraqi war and win a lot of innocent people to those guys' side, we will win the war. You know what I mean? imagine me i will kill anyone touch fuck intuition right how i became how i reached that belief but through them they make me believe on them you know what i mean yeah. so like i said killing is not the only solution like they didn't kill me they treat me as a human they respect me they trust me they give me everything i want And here we go. Like one time we have mission and we have interpreter. So with Ranger Mm. and we try to pass highway. And I told him we have to um, broken the white light. Yeah. Because we, you know, we use the night vision and he says, no, 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 we know what we're doing. It's like, okay, brother, I just want to advise you. Whatever, because I am second one after the uh, the lead, the navigator. Soon we pass the, soon they pass it, we started getting shot from the guards. So I start shoot back. So anyway, it looked like American movie. Uh, Apache came and they started shooting and all this kind of things. So anyway, we killed three bad guys in that night. We head back and the turp. He went to the Ranger Sergeant and he told him, Hey, bro, maybe those guys, three guys, we killed them and Johnny shot with, with the guys. Maybe they are innocent. So he bring him in to me and he says, Johnny, maybe those three guys, which is that bad, she killed them. Uh, maybe they are innocent. Tell them, okay, what is the concern? They are innocent. They cannot go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what everyone wants right they're bad guy they cannot go to the hell so we send them with express ticket so <laughs> what's your concern so i look at to the third i told him listen if you point your weapon in one of my brother i will shoot you with a smile on my fucking face are we clear with that those people they are not sending us flower. Those people they <laughs> fucking shoot us, they right. kill us. All right. What do you want me to do? Fucking go to his database, see if he's honest or not? I don't have this fucking shit. Maybe you talk with your God and figure out. For me, I don't have this fucking shit. And they left him. So my point is is what kind of listen and what kind of activity, what kind of response, what kind of friendship, brotherhood, make me, make you reach to the level you never cheat them, you never fucking uh, treat them. And with yourself, you confessed, and this is the fucking big challenge. If something happened, yeah, I, if I have no option, I will sacrifice my life to them. It's fucking big deal, but I reached to that level because of those guys.
0: Yeah, and that's a value. They
2: guide me yeah. to the right path.
0: Right. And that and and that's a value that you got from them.
2: Yeah. And that's meaning those guys, they have solid manners, warrior, patriot, foundation. Because if they don't have it, I will never receive it.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's a value you learned. I think it's a value that was you had with you and was brought out by us. Like, you know, like, I mean, for me, like when I joined the Navy and I saw the SEAL video, I'm like, oh, cool, I wanna try that. And as soon as I got there, I'm like, okay, this is, this is I found something that was inside me that this is what I wanna do. And I think same applies to Johnny and, and every other team guy uh, is, you know, you, you have something inside you and then you find it and you're, now you're able to express it, you know? And, and I think once Johnny found us, Or you know, uh, he's like, "Oh, this is yeah, it was a perfect fit. This is where I I belong." Yeah, and it was, and it's not to take away from any other interpreters; they're awesome guys, and I loved all of them. I mean, each and every one of their stories was flat out amazing. Uh, (laughs) I ended up my room was pretty big in Iraq, and they was a housing issue, and so I had all these cats living in my uh, room in Iraq. (laughs) and, man, I had, you know, a couple of Kurds. You know, one guy's village was gassed by Saddam in the 90s, and he had to carry his kids 50 kilometers through the snow to Turkey. Uh, another guy uh, was a Shia who, you know, tried to lead the uprising in the Jaf, or was part of the uprising in the Jaf after the first Gulf War, and just got slaughtered. He ended up in a camp in Saudi Arabia for a couple of years and then ended up uh, down here in Imperial Beach thinking he was in Michigan and uh you know a couple other kurds like i said lebanese christians all these guys were just remarkable uh individuals great stories johnny was special though It was just a it was like a perfect fit it was just uh yeah you know, i'm not real religious but there was, it was some serendipitous event there that made it happen and you know led to you know some dude who's a truck driver in mosul to Living in El Cajon as a U.S. citizen, <laughs> I mean, it's the craziest, most it's a crazy story. story. Yeah. 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 yeah, and it's one of the strengths too. Like, if I died tomorrow, I'm like, cool. You know, like my life is good because I got to see you know Beta, the four kids, and Johnny make it over here. And then, like, dude, that like I was like when the day you landed, uh, I was out at Fort Irwin of all places, and I remember that was like you see am- how
2: was Quinns like
1: yeah. crazy. That was an emotional day, but then. Uh, And then Beta getting her citizenship a year and a half, two years ago was crazy. But then uh, Johnny uh, got a citizenship the day. It was actually the anniversary of when I graduated Bud, so all uh, ironies. But uh, that was just like, holy shit, that was a heavy day. And uh, I was like, cool, man, that chapter is closed. It's kind of cool now he gets to write a new one.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cato Podcast. To become a member of Cato, check out our website at catonews.org. If you have a topic suggestion, please send them to podcasts at catonews.org. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate us on the platform of your choice.